Welcome to Every Game in This City, a podcast about 10 game makers, curators, and researchers who met up in Malaysia for a week to try and play every escape room in Kuala Lumpur. I'm Li Shanglun. I'm Goldie Bartlett. I'm Stephanie Bullock. I'm Alexandra Lee. I'm Patrick Lemieux. I'm Amani Nassim. And I'm Douglas Wilson. This week, we'll introduce the team, explain our goals for the trip, and discuss the first rooms we played together at Escape Room in Burjaya Times Square. Uh, who's in the room? Let's find out. Uh, let's start with you, Doug. I am Douglas Wilson. Uh, I teach games at RMIT University in Melbourne, Australia, where I'm a lecturer. And um, I also co-run uh, an indie game studio called Digude Fabrik, based in Denmark. I'm Amani Nassim. I'm a game maker, curator, and activist from the Maldives. Um, I'm Alex. I'm the business manager for Play Reactive, and I'm also the operations manager for this trip. <laughs> so important. Yeah. <laughs> uh, my name is Li Shanglun, and I'm the director of Play Reactive, um, game making collective in Melbourne, Australia. And my name is Stephanie Bullock, and I'm from Oakland, and I teach games at UC Davis. I'm Goldie Bartlett. I'm an illustrator from Melbourne, and I'm currently art directing a game called Wayward Strand. And I'm Patrick Lemieux. I'm an artist and game designer from Oakland also, and also teach at UC Davis uh, with Stephanie. Uh, cool. So we are all here in um, the bedroom of an apartment that belongs to my uncle. Yeah, with a ton of mattresses kind of leaned <laughs> up against the walls, uh, which actually makes a decent recording studio. This is like the, the kind of bottom tier home recording setup, like two mics and a bunch of mattresses. It's really funny because we're all sitting in an arc around these microphones and looking at uh, each other hesitantly. Um, but we would love to find out, uh, why are we here? Why are we here in Malaysia? Did anyone think this through? How did this even begin? <laughs> I don't remember. Uh, that's so, a good question, actually. So yeah. Patrick and Stephanie were in Melbourne last year, almost exactly a year ago, for a big international conference, game academia conference called DIGRA, um, where the two of them met. Um, I had met them earlier through other games academia stuff. Um, so they came and then met a bunch of us, and then somehow, uh, I guess, because Shanglin and Alex are actually working on escape rooms, were interested in playing other escape rooms as research for the rooms they were making. And I was like, oh, I'd love to go to Malaysia sometime. Let's, let's, apparently, escape rooms are, are big in Southeast Asia. Let's, let's go play a bunch of rooms there. And then I think the whole group... Uh, caught wind. Oh, I, w I would go to Malaysia to play a bunch of games. And lo and behold, we're, here we are. And because yeah. we're not doing anything halfway, we decided that instead of just going to you know Kuala Lumpur and hanging out and playing some escape rooms, we decided to challenge ourselves to do every escape room, or as Doug was saying, almost every a lot. escape room. A lot. So, the majority of escape rooms. So every day, we're basically going to be. Um, pushing ourselves kind of physically and emotionally and intellectually to play as many escape rooms as we possibly can. And this is basically the podcast for day one. Yesterday we had our sort of first trial run and we went and how many did we, Wait, how many did we before do? Before we get into like what we actually did yesterday, okay. because there's a lot to unpack <laughs> there, uh, one thing I am still curious about or I don't really know is... Why escape rooms and why Kuala Lumpur? Like, why right. does this place have uh, so many escape rooms? Uh, 
why is this like the perfect destination for doing this kind of research or doing this kind of uh, like game design? Partially it's because it's close to Australia and cheap, <laughs> right? Yeah, okay. So so part of it is like we need a destination that we can all get to, um, which even on the like west coast of the States, it's like not too bad to get out here. Um, it's a 24-hour flight for you. Right. It could be worse. <laughs> <laughs> but it was actually, my flight was cheaper than what it cost me to fly home to Montreal. Oh. So, I'm yeah. I'm able to be here because of the Women in Games grant that I got from Port Victoria, which is just wonderful. Um, otherwise, yeah, these things can be quite unobtainable to the artist, but um, yeah, very lucky to be here. Mm. Um, Alexandra and I uh, often f return back to Malaysia to visit family, so it made sense for us to try to compact this trip. But it, it strikes me that there are just like tons of escape rooms in Kuala Lumpur. Right, it's one of those cities that has a high density of them. And in 2015 it seemed like that was more of the case, and now half of those have shut down. So the bubble has kind of burst. We're, 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 like we're sort of right, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's but, like leaking. But even slow decline. Even still, someone correct me if I'm wrong. It seems, and maybe that's because of mall culture in KL. It just it seems like there are more escape rooms here, at least compared to American cities that that I know. Of. Maybe I'm just underestimating how many escape rooms there are in American cities. Yeah. This is this is really really mm. interesting because I I actually haven't played a lot of escape rooms, so I'm kind of getting a, a crash course right now. Mm. And even just like after one day of, of escape rooms, the, the kind of rampant consumerism of it, like not just the fact that it's set in the mall, but even like the the sort of cookie cutter nature of mm. a lot of the plots and a lot of the the kind of puzzle mechanics and the game design, it, it really does feel like these these games were built to ride a trend rather than with some sort of like so, experimental or or like aesthetic intention. So it's this like really interesting moment where it's it hasn't yet gone like indie or if it, that if that exists like we haven't found it yet. It's incredibly in industrialized. It's yeah. very industrialized. But I yeah. think that's also because um, most people who do it are looking at the business aspect. Mm -hmm. Like I don't think that many people who are actually interested in creating them because they enjoy creating games in that style are doing it for that reason. And they're incredibly good as a business proposition because yeah, they have yeah, tiny um, marginal costs. So wait, what, like, what is, uh, we don't have to go into like the, the ontology of an escape room, but like what, <laughs> what's an escape room for like somebody listening who's like never done one of these or wants to do one? Like what constitutes an escape room? It's a group activity. I think that's, that's some, one thing you could start with. Mm -hmm. Basically it's a room or a series of room which have got a series of uh, puzzles as well as strong theming. Um, and you're basically, uh, they're trying to immerse you into this, into this setting and theming. You off, basically, you just have to try to get out of the room or uncover the, some piece of the story that's missing and get out of the room mm. uh, within 45 minutes to an hour. So they kind of like start historically as just you're locked in a room, figure it out, and people are pulling apart couch cushions and moving furniture and flipping through books. It's usually the furnished room. And then over time, other types of themes. So right. as we'll be talking about on this podcast, like, Alice in Wonderland and like weird chocolate milk themes. <laughs> like, some of them are like trademark properties and some of them are works of fiction, but some of them are completely original or uh, are along genre kind of lines like sci-fi or horror, haunted house themes are, seem 
prominent. There are some very clear tropes that have emerged as mm-hmm. part of that mm-hmm. industrialization, and uh, they relate uh, almost entirely to the ways in which this thing can be sold. Mm-hmm. So I think the themes are chosen to evoke uh, archetypes inside of our heads of stories and settings that we already know so that we can more quickly access the fiction. Yeah. Um, and then similarly, the time limit is chosen to try to maximize the number of people to get through the experience. And I guess the puzzles are also archetypical. Yeah, definitely. You don't have any experience necessary. Um, it's worth pointing out that there's a really kind of diverse body of experience and people in the group, and that's kind of on purpose, you know, having this kind of people from different backgrounds and different familiarity. So some of us have hardly played any escape rooms. Some of us have played a ton of escape rooms. Some of us actually make escape rooms for a living, um, uh, in- including our play reactive representatives, but we'll have other guests joining us tomorrow who make escape rooms for a living. So, yeah. um, but I think despite our varying expertise, I think a lot of us in the room share this sense of excitement, like this feeling that escape rooms could be a lot more and that actually there's lots of low-hanging fruit in terms of the design of these things. Yeah. So I think that's part of what's motivating the trip. Not that we necessarily expect to play in KL or wherever a lot of experimental escape rooms, but that um, that it's, it's uh, in discussing them, that's exciting because it feels like there's so much ground to cover mm-hmm. in making mm-hmm. escape rooms. And that's, I think that's, for me, part of the excitement that's fueling. Totally. Even after the first day, I feel like I see the horizon yeah. of possibility for yeah. all like the weird shit yeah. that you could do. But there's always this kind of restraint that's going on or this like needing to bring it back to just do whatever are the sort of conventions or tropes of what I guess is becoming like mm-hmm. standardized um, escape room game design. Which the I don't... Escape room by numbers. Um, yeah. <laughs> well, the kit, yeah. right? I mean, it gets me thinking about what was right next to the escape rooms we went to yesterday, which was a laser tag hmm. uh, room. And in the 90s, you know, every kid wanted to do laser tag. There's not much design that really goes into laser tag. It's more like environmental architectural design, like, oh, let's put a long corridor here with mirrors in it or whatever. And that might have been exciting to some makers back back then and probably still today. But I think escape rooms offer the designer so much more, um, especially like, I'm going to say it, like people who study play, like ludo, ludology people, like, Gonna, gonna, gonna oh, them. them. <laughs> <laughs> gonna love, gonna love the escape room because there's so much there that could be unpicked. Um, yeah. And I, I want to like get into that rather than think of escape rooms as just another mall filler. Yeah. Like, like, mm-hmm. like the laser tag is today. Yeah. Uh, I definitely think that it's not just a problem for creators of escape rooms, but it's also a problem with the fact that most people who play them already have an idea of what an escape room is. So now they already know this is what an escape room is. And it's really hard for people who are trying to stray away from that box, which is set for it and that people have in their minds. When you're saying it's escape room, people are a bit weirded out because we found that with our first escape room, um, the prototype for Earthrise One, that a lot of escape room enthusiasts would come and they were disappointed because they said, oh, it's not linear. I don't understand it because we're used to solving puzzles this way and it's not like this. I don't like it. Mm. Mm. We all have really diverse backgrounds and reasons for coming here. And what are some of the things that you're interested in exploring and investigating? What are the lenses that we're applying to this trip? So personally, as somebody who's you know interested in making and designing escape rooms, I'm curious about 
uh, what we can do to create more experimental work. And I kind of see escape rooms as this genre within a larger medium of interactive, immersive experiences, um, which I actually would also class as a form of live art, or like it could be a form of live yep. art. Mm. Um, and we, oh, I would like to push that and see where that goes as a, as a creator, as a maker. So that's my interest being here. Yeah. So maybe, um, my interest is like a lot of my research and art practice and game design is about exposing uh, a history of play, which is elusive in a lot of digital games and video games because play is private, play is personal, play is ephemeral. Um, so, I mean... We don't really know what goes on in living rooms as people are like playing these games, but escape rooms have explicit traces of past play, but also past design, right? So, there, so one of the things I'm really interested in on this trip is identifying what parts of the escape rooms are generic uh, or part of the form of the escape room and what parts of escape rooms are site-specific to this place, uh, Kuala Lumpur. And when those juxtapositions happen, how does that change the way that we play them? Like, what, what does that do to our attitudes or our relationships to a place that we're visiting or maybe we live? Um, how does it show us something about the ways in which um, power operates or money operates in these mall spaces uh, and otherwise? So I'm, I'm just really curious about those, like, um, uh, I guess, like, gaps or seams that occur in this type of design. Well, and, and can I just point out really quickly, I think that was part of the, the idea of Kale as opposed to some city that none of us are from. So to have mm -hmm. a mix of kind of insiders, yeah. air quotes, and outsiders, air quotes, for those different kinds of um, positionality against Kale. Yeah, and I think another thing that really interests me, too, um, that isn't necessarily specific to escape rooms, but the sort of oversaturation method that we're going to be doing over the next week. <laughs> <laughs> right, so yeah. how many are we doing in what time frame? Mm. That's a really uh, good question. <laughs> at least 30, but yesterday we went like two or three over what we thought we would do in just one afternoon. So we'll, we'll see. Uh, it's definitely going to be over. It could go uh, quite in a, a bit up. And yeah. in my case, I'm going from like zero to 60. I think I've done two escape rooms yeah, prior true. to this that were always part of very big groups. Yeah. Um, and so... I'm going to have a pretty steep learning curve. Can, can you say more, because this is my interest in the trip as well, about the oversaturation and, and what we mean? Because cause, <laughs> yeah. cause some of us here um, are interested in, in escape room, sure. Mm -hmm. But I think for me and you, we're more interested in like methods, finding right. new methods of game analysis. So maybe, yeah, expand. Yeah, well, I mean, since it's day one, I'm not entirely sure what's going to happen. But we're going to, I mean, this is going to be like a really heavy co cognitive as well as physical, like, like an endurance run that we're going to have to go through over the next seven days. And so what, I mean, if I can speculate, and maybe I'm going to like look back on what I'm saying now seven days later and be like, I, I had no idea what I was talking about. <laughs> but um, what, what I sort of think is going to happen is that we're going to go through all of these different sort of phases um, as we play these games where, you know, like yesterday, it was sort of like exciting and new. And I, you know, I'm not familiar with most of the puzzles. And so there's this like learning curve of trying to figure out like what are the sort of classic game design tropes and, and you know, 
patterns that that we're that we're working with and then i think you know after a couple of days we're going to start seeing the same thing again and again with the these like really thin narrative veneers right that don't really like sustain us in mm-hmm. you know, <laughs> yeah like oh here like you're you're in a room and you have to get out that kind of thing and so i think that like there's going to be a sort of exhaustion point and if we like push past that exhaustion point i'm really curious to see what what will happen yep. and how we'll start thinking about the the games that we're yep. playing. I'm gonna go through the like Kubler Ross model <laughs> of escape rooms. I don't know what that is. <laughs> I also don't know what that is. <laughs> but I wanna be I wanna be really like you know, I kind of wanna be inspired and I'm really nosy about what's going on here. <laughs> and that but I think, you know, I might get really annoyed. But I, you know, I tend to do things because I get annoyed about what <laughs> things are like right now. So I think that's a good way to get inspired as well. That doesn't. What, what are you annoyed about? Um, you know, I might get like what Stephanie says. I might get really annoyed about the escape rooms. You know, and yeah. then but like, she's just not like, yet. <laughs> yeah, I'm, well, not, I'm not annoyed about it yet. I, I think there is like a level of annoyance or frustration oh, yeah. that comes with this particular genre, and I'm not sure if we're ready to like move into what we well, did yesterday what I'm or in, really. I'm interested. I'm a very observant person. Like visually, that's one thing that I'm going to be helping out with while mm-hmm. I'm here is like illustrating some of what I see, but observing psychologically what's going on and what's going on with group dynamics in the moment just out of interest just to sort of write it down document it um and come up with ways of describing what what i'm seeing uh in the group but also aesthetically in the escape room i'm also interested in in what's going on with like set design and how they're trying to get the themes across but Mm. the frustration is real (laughs) (laughs) can can i just jump on that too also for the method like so escape rooms are these group collaborative kind of exercises so there's this kind of methodological move here where we're like well what does it mean to analyze these tropes and these genres and this game form together in this heterogeneous group Mm -hmm. um with that has some academics and some totally non-academics and some people in between so that's also Mm -hmm. that thing of like what is the group psychology playing the game well that's i mean that's kind of why we're doing the podcast and so that's that's like that's part of the intentional but I'm, I'm method totally here. not an academic i'm just i just talk a lot descriptively but good <laughs> yeah. good right that, that's yeah, like kind of the great. point yeah yeah <laughs> yeah alex and chung lun are you is there an element of like corporate espionage going on <laughs> from the Definitely. folks who are like Always. in the industry like we're actually doing reasons why. all of these escape rooms with like a newspaper held up with eye holes cut out of them so we're just looking through yeah, <laughs> suspiciously um yes. i don't know what are, what are you doing here what am I doing here? I, I don't know. <laughs> Why did I sign up for this? I mean, you're making it happen. But to be honest, at first, I was just told, oh, we're going to Malaysia. I was like, okay, cool, grandparents. <laughs> <laughs> but no, um, it's it's a lot of escapers instead. So, yeah. Um, you actually, your grandparents are hidden at the end of the last escape room. <laughs> That's where I'm escaping to. <laughs> So it sounds like overall, some of us are interested in the object, uh, like as the design object or as the activity. Some of us are interested in the cultural artifact 
uh, and the positionality of escape rooms in Malaysia specifically, mm-hmm. relative like an ethnographic or anthropological perspective. Some of us are interested in the processes and methodology of this experiment that we're undertaking. Some of us are very interested in food in Malaysia. Oh, yeah. 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 I think we might share that last one. Yeah. Right. <laughs> That's what brings it all together. Yeah. <laughs> That's the real purpose. <laughs> During the break, Alexandra Lee, Douglas Wilson, and a voice from the future will discuss the ins and outs of escape rooms. Okay, time for a brief interlude. We're going to do an interlude each episode where we break into a smaller group uh, to deep dive. Usually we'll deep dive into a specific escape room we've played, but for this introductory episode, we wanted to cover some of the basics of escape rooms and how they might differ in terms of logistics uh, around the world. So there's three of us here. Uh, So I'm Douglas Wilson. I'm Laura E. Hall. And actually, podcast-wise, you will not actually meet me until tomorrow's episode. Retcon! (laughs) (laughs) Um, And I'm Alexandra Lee. Uh, So what's exciting is uh, both Laura and Alex run their own escape rooms. We're going to talk about this uh, in episode two, so I won't say too much. Um, But so uh, I've got two experts here with me, and we did want to kind of cover. So let's start with uh, what is an escape room? Like, how would you explain this to somebody else? Um, Well, it's an immersive experience where... um it takes place in a live set, I guess, where usually they involve puzzles and the aim is to escape. Yeah. Every, everything in the room, which is decorated like a movie set generally, um, is a puzzle or a clue. Yeah. And you go through a sequence in a set amount of time. And yeah, in theory, the idea is always that you're trying to get out. Not necessarily, but... So um, the classic, the trope, which we'll... Uh, uh, unpack this later, but usually you have 45 minutes or an hour. Um, they like lock the door behind you uh, and you're supposed to solve this series or pool of puzzles. Uh, and if you do that in time, uh, and they're often physical puzzles. So it's almost like a f- uh, video game that you're playing uh, in the real world. Uh, and then you and your group, uh, you either get out and you get a, uh, get to take a, a photo afterwards and celebrate, or, or you didn't beat it in time. And you can often compare your times to other groups. You know, did you get the best time that week? We, we escaped in 22 minutes rather than 27 minutes, mm-hmm. and so forth and so on. Um, Oftentimes yeah. they have like a leaderboard where people get a bit competitive. Yeah. They're trying to beat each other for times. Yeah. Um, And so around the world, there's really interesting differences. Um, Something that I've experienced in the U.S. even is that there are nuances that are specific to each city. One place will do something um, that all of the other venues in town will then pick up on and sort of copy them. So you get these really interesting sort of bubbles of really specific like room styles or ways that they're treating players or something. So it was really an interesting idea to come to a completely different country and see how things operate there. Right. So just some examples, you know, what does it mean to book an escape room? Uh, Some rooms like in the States, for example, you often like, let's say three friends show up to a room. They'll uh, often put you together, schmuck you together with another group of four people. So complete strangers. Uh, I once did an escape room in New York uh, with Laura and we were put together with random strangers, Uh, but that would never happen 
you're in KL. Is that, is that common practice? It's Most totally normal in oh, the U.S. Okay. Like, they try and fill the room with as many people. But in Europe, for example, it's always a group booking. So no matter how many players, you're, you're paying a set minimum mm. amount. And then the individual ticket price changes based on how many you're bringing in. But the whole session is just for that one group. And just uh, for the listeners, so what, what are, kind of prices are we talking about both in the States and here in KL? Um, in the States, I'd say they run in, in smaller areas around 25 to 30, 35 max. Per person. Per person. And then in bigger cities, it can get up to something around 40, 42 and so in Kale, it's been about 10 to $15 per yeah. person. Is that about U.S. dollars? U.S. dollars. I'm not, I'm not sure about the conversion rate. But I know in Australia, it's about 30 to 45 Australian dollars. Oh, so if you're playing in Melbourne, escape rooms usually cost 30 to 45 Australian yeah. dollars. Yeah. yeah, that's correct. So uh, other kind of logistical differences that you think about with this, like, what does it mean to do? run an escape room parlor and sign up for one of these rooms as a player. Yeah. Well, the way that things are booked here is that you put in a reservation, but you do not pay until you actually turn up, which is very lucky because we had an incident where we showed up and the escape room was missing. Again, future th- future tales. <laughs> <laughs> um, but that that is not normal for the U.S. It's not standard. Um, so that it was a, an interesting difference. Right. So in the U S you pay when you book. Yes. It's the same in Australia. Right? Yeah. yeah. And it's a lot more strict with the starting times where let's say if a team is 10 minutes late, sometimes we'll just have to t- den- deny them access because right. it's just messing up with the timetable. Yeah. Um, the onboarding and customer service experience is, is wildly different between parlors here. Um, a lot of stuff that I think wouldn't fly in the U.S. because most rooms there are very beholden to Yelp and TripAdvisor reviews. And there's like a sort of punitive thing that happens with people who have even a smidgen of a bad experience where they're like, one star, this is the worst experience I've mm-hmm. ever had in my life. Um, just because somebody is like a little bit off that day. And then here we've had the full range <laughs> so far. I think a lot of that also has to do with... Uh... Malaysian service in general across various industries like restaurants you go there for the food you do not go there for the service <laughs> and I think that goes across to escape rooms as well yeah I, well even with the onboarding like uh, which we should define but even before but even before you actually show up at the escape room parlor so you're on this website and even from city to city parlor to parlor within the city those websites the booking experiences look different so there's some uh, escape rooms. I think even Alex's Earthrise one is that true? Where the the website is is more fictional, like it's trying to recruit you. Hey, you're you're an astronaut. Uh, you're going to go into the spaceship. Like it's trying yeah. to play into the fiction immediately. Yes. Uh, whereas mo- I think almost all the ones we've done in KL, none of them are trying to do the fiction on the website. It's just like, yep, we're an escape room parlor. We run these seven rooms. Mm. Here are the times. Uh, and uh, I think that's worth thinking about. There's a, a famous. Uh, game design truism where the, the game begins the second you hear about it. Yeah. Right. So, um, uh, same, that- same for theme park design, like where the line is the ride. Right. Yeah. It's a, it has to be a full experience. Um, there is a tension I think in, in needing to convey information in the simplest way possible because people are trying to, you don't want to be in the way of them spending money on a ticket yeah. versus like ushering them into this world. But, th- but then you actually show up yeah. to the parlor. Um, sometimes you have to sign a legal waiver. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've had that at two of the parlors here, but not all of the parlors yes. here. Um, 
So that's sometimes an interesting difference. Uh, sometimes uh, people are in character immediately, uh, even at the desk uh, of an esca uh, escape room or pretty soon after you sign the waiver. Um, here in uh, KL, we've had very little of that. There hasn't been narrative story making. Uh, the, the staff is not ever acting right. uh, really yeah. as, as characters. And when we use the term onboarding, we mean like, are, are we given a safety briefing? Like, don't touch wires. You don't need to put your fingers into outlets. Um, all the way into like, here's what your role is in the room, your fictional role. Um, here's what you're looking for. The first thing you should be doing, that sort of stuff. And the quality varies wildly. And so sometimes, at least here in Kale, that was a really quick spiel from a disinterested staff member. Oh, I guess you're like, art thieves, get the paintings. Yeah. <laughs> and sometimes that was an elaborate uh, video where there's like an animated one minute video setting the scene. Sometimes the onboarding is done in the environmental storytelling, quote unquote, in the, in the, uh, piecing together narrative from the environment itself. So that's very different uh, between rooms. Yeah. Um, so then also something that's very important in escape rooms is the story, the themes, and the sort of sense of building of that world. Um, so those are terms that we're going to use as world building. You'll hear that throughout the podcast. Well, and it's worth that. You said it's very important. I, right. I agree with that, but I'm not sure everyone agrees <laughs> That's very with that, true. Right? So one of the best ones that I've played had basically no story, and it was a very strong game mechanically and in its puzzles. Those are also terms that we'll be referring to. Um, so there's, there's sort of this underlying structure of puzzles that may or may not connect to each other in a linear or obvious way. Sometimes the story is applied to those things to make them make sense in the context of the world. Sometimes they're just randomly placed in the room, and it's really hard to figure things out. Um, what you're supposed to do next. Sometimes they have a label on them, so it's like, this is the first puzzle, this is the fifth one, so you know which order you're supposed to be doing right, like them in. Sometimes maybe the, there's a really thin narrative, okay, you're uh, art thieves uh, stealing art from a gallery or whatever, uh, but for some reason you're doing weird like anagram puzzles on math, solving yeah. math <laughs> equations, and it's not clear why. Uh, other rooms try to blend, uh, so to speak, the story and the mechanics more, so that the things you're doing kind of fictionally you could imagine doing if you were actually doing an art heist, whether that's like crawling uh, underneath uh, trip lasers or whatever that is. Yeah. Um, and uh, like we said, I think some, it'd be worth asking ourselves if all players even want narrative. Like right. sometimes it's just doing interesting physical puzzles under a time limit in mm. a group is the appeal for other people. Um, it is the more couldn't care less about mathy puzzles, yeah. just want the immersive experience. So there's, it's tricky because I think there's a lot of different desires and goals from, from players doing these things. Yeah, definitely. I don't think that um, having one or the other makes it a superior or inferior room either. Because yeah. Yeah. they're just different. Yeah. 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 Absolutely agree. And then there's a session afterward that um, generally is happening as an individual group. When you come out of the room, you get this kind of excited moment of oh, wasn't it cool when you were doing this or, or this other thing? Or if you failed, maybe the staff member has shown you what you missed. So we are sort of formalizing that debriefing process in this podcast series where we're discussing um, all of the themes and the roles and everything that actually happened within those rooms. But it's worth talking about some escape rooms, the staff come into the room and do that debriefing with you or are outside of the room. Sometimes they do that in a narrative way. Um, sometimes it's, it's not really narrative. Oh, what puzzles did you miss here? I'll, I'll show you how to do it. 
So, so the, the escape rooms, designers, and staff members themselves will debrief or not debrief with yeah. you in various Sometimes areas. not at all. Actually, quite frequently not at all. Yeah, we used to do walkthroughs, full walkthroughs of, say, of like, here's what puzzle connected to this, and here's what's happening with our, our customers, um, because it sort of reinforces the story elements, and sometimes you miss things because you're on one side of the room while your friends are solving something on the other side. Um, but it just is, it sort of depends on what people are looking for, really. And, and I will say, too, um, the better a room is, the more that we have to say about it, even if it's critique, because sort of once you've reached a certain level, it just becomes a matter of finessing. So throughout the course of this podcast, you're going to hear maybe less discussion about the ones that just weren't as strong and didn't have that much to offer us um, from the analytical perspective. And then it might feel like we're coming down hard on some of the ones that really had like intense story stuff or really solid puzzles, but maybe weren't quite there. But like, that's a level of finessing that I think we, it's becoming from a place where, because we respect that room and like, there is enough to engage with creatively. So I just want to make that clear because (laughs) it's stuff that we love that we're able to critique. Um, And, and the last thing I would mention too, with both the onboarding and the debriefing um, as a group, thinking about this as kind of experience design, uh, I think you'll hear in our discussions, uh, we like onboarding, we like debriefing, because escape rooms are physical, they're emotionally intense, they're taxing, they're exciting. So to go from you're driving 100 miles per hour and then suddenly stop and then you're in the lobby kind of bewildered. So we will be, <laughs> we will be talking a lot about these kinds of uh, you know, common uh, experience design wisdom with how, how do you get people to go from zero to 100, then how do you stop that speeding car, metaphorically? So these are uh, all terms and themes and discussions we'll be having in the episodes to come. Next up, we talk a bit about Brajaya Times Square, a mall in the center of KL where we played our first escape rooms together. Um, yesterday, we went to our first escape room franchise. It was Escape Room International. It's part of this larger thing. They have uh, rooms in Melbourne and I think Hong Kong, maybe. Um, and they're in Berjaya Square. So we entered this mall together, uh, grabbing our cars, and Patrick... Yeah, this this is awesome because we go to this like fancy mall. Well, Alex told me it wasn't that fancy, but to me it seemed very fancy. <laughs> That's like the smallest mall in Malaysia. No, maybe all, the oldest. Maybe just all malls here are like fancy to me, but this like fanciness was like um, totally doubled down on because the first thing we see... The first the thing. The first yeah. thing... Is we all get out of uh, the the kind of grab cars because we're using those to get around Malaysia, and we enter, and there's like an escape room in the lobby of the small, like a giant crystal glass enclosure with like a weird lattice work of gritty. Yeah, it was. It was like a Jacques Tati, like weird (laughs) modernist set. I'm not sure if it was for like a kiosk or pop up that they remade into an escape room, but it said break the code. Yeah, it said break the code, which was the place that we were going, and there no, were, no, no, break the code. We're going to today. Oh, I assumed that it was like a promo for the one in that mall. No and competition. I'm, no, I'm gonna break your heart. Actually, <laughs> oh, no. it wasn't actually an escape room. It's just a mall right. thing. It's a m- I, I happened to speak to <laughs> it. But it was like a mall thing disguised in the genre of an escape room. It had the aesthetic of an escape room. Yeah, so, but one of the cool things about it was there were, there were people all around watching a single person 
try and puzzle out what looked like an escape room, but was just like some lottery thing. No, it was so I, loud. I, I talked to a bloke who had just walked out of it after the end of the day, and I said, so what do you actually have to do in there? And literally, you have to spend 150 uh, ringgit in the mall, and then you can wait in line to go to go in and play. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And all you have to do is literally guess a number between zero and six hundred thousand with no clues. <laughs> right. Whoa. How many chances do you get? Infinite. One. But yeah, so one. you just you type in numbers over and over and over and over. And this is what I think is wow. really funny that like everyone is watching you just at this keypad it's yeah. and it's very dramatic music is playing. Yeah, the music. Dun, 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 dun. And, oh. and lights are flashing. <laughs> and the countdown is going down from a minute. Yeah, they got uh, a minute? Yeah. yeah. But can I say maybe this is like a microcosm for the whole trip? Yes. Because, because like Immediately, it was clear in my imagination what it could be, and it was the most like my jaw hit the floor. Uh, no, your like, face was like, the best in that moment because like, there's a whole crowd of watching this person in this like the future dome yeah. and the octagon, like rushing for their and it was like, oh my god, this is like a like a public spectatable like almost game show meets escape room yeah. with escape a disco room. floor. Yeah. With a disco floor. This is like the perfect hybrid. No one's explored. Oh wait, actually, With the, the style music. Yeah, like, yeah, the reality is way more mundane and disappointing. Yeah. But like, just seeing the thing was deeply inspiring because immediately your mind is exploding with, oh, it could be this or it could be that. And <laughs> right, I, it was yeah. the first thing we saw. Yeah, yeah. The first day. But and I think that's the thing. Like, it has all the components, right? The mall, the bizarre, huge, elaborate setup, mm-hmm. and then like the no payoff, which I I feel, <laughs> I, I feel like is going to be a, a trend. Not to not to spoil any escape rooms or anything, but uh, they're disappointing. <laughs> Often, right, spoiler alert: Escape rooms are bad. <laughs> All right, podcast. Like, like, maybe that's maybe that's bad. Okay. Maybe that's okay. Yeah. Uh, if the imagination, yeah, triggered. <laughs> yeah. So, so maybe like moving on from from that like uh, Jacques Tati modernist glass house. When we actually got into the escape room section, it was part of like an entire theme park. Yeah. It was blue with stuccoed rock walls stretching up seven floors yeah. um, that looked like, you know, uh, space, like painted to look a little bit like space rock. And then there was this twisted, looping, bright orange roller coaster track. Just, like a full on, just fully yeah. like fucking it's like the, the shrieks space. of all the roller coaster <laughs> <laughs> the but and, in, indoors, you know, indoors yeah. in this atrium like, that was bigger than any atrium I've ever seen, and this roller coaster just fully took up the space, and it was overwhelmingly cool. And um, and actually, as as we proceeded throughout the escape rooms that day, um, I think like noise is really. Uh, I mean, noise was part of a lot of the escape rooms where they have these, like, to, like, artificially inflate the tension, they they add a soundtrack to the room, and so you have to talk louder, which produces anxiety. But when we would get outside, um, at first I wasn't kind of affected by the shrieks of the (laughs) but toward the end, every time you would go outside and it was just this, like, constant looping of people screaming at the top of their Not like that. Desperate, desperate, like shrieking of, yeah. of like genuine terror. I it, it started to by the end of the day, I was really feeling that, and like yeah. orally as well. Like it you, because we were so high up, we were like sort of the the balcony that uh, our level was on was sort of quite towards the apex of this big loop de loop. Um, we couldn't hear all of the bells and bings and whoops and whistles of the arcade and uh, and theme park that this thing 
started at on the ground floor, we could only hear the scream. <laughs> <laughs> Which was then replicated in some of the escape rooms we did. Like, right. That's so, so what, roller coaster. <laughs> what escape rooms did we actually do? So yesterday was the first time that we were playing together and um, we, it was late afternoon and we still managed to get through about six different escape rooms. And the one that we started with was called Art Thief. And then from there, we went on to the Dutch-made corporate escape room, the Chocolate Vault. <laughs> Dutch Lady. Dutch Lady. Yeah, Sorry. Let's be really sensitive about Dutch Lady. It's <laughs> she's an, not a maid. She's, she's a lady. It's yes. an important one. And so we did Art Thief first, and we did everyone in the room at the same time. Yeah, so we wanted to kick it off with everyone together. But we also wanted to win. And, <laughs> yes. Yeah, so, so, uh. And we gunned it. And we yeah. did. It was like a speed run. I think we got the room. record for the entire year. Actually, yeah, 13 yeah. minutes, 16 seconds. Very well done. Um, we had Patrick on uh, note taking duty, so, so each room we do, we're sending a person in with a sneaky recording device. Yeah, which I think are becoming less and less sneaky as, like, photos and videos are pretty protected because I think that they are assumed to have some spoilery content, but audio recordings are, it's like an unthought of thing in escape rooms that somebody would be like recording their thoughts. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, this is the first time we tried this. And basically it was just an exercise in like ekphrasis, like describing what was happening in the room in a cogent way that included both kind of descriptions of like the the set decorations and pieces of furniture, uh, the puzzles, but also like what people were doing with them. Um, and so this added an air of like frenzy, I think, alongside like, <laughs> like the sports themed music. Yeah, it was almost like commentary where it's like, okay, oh we're presented with a physical challenge in the second room. The first room is more like a lobby to kind of warm us up and the second room is much more intense. Uh, there are lasers uh, across and smoke in the second room, which is really interesting. Um, yeah, it was behind the hook aside. Uh, so now we're actually in this dark room. There's art. Doug is taking the first crawl across the floor. Um, keep, keep low, keep low. Um, oh! Doug, keep moving forward. Here's a clip we prepared earlier. <laughs> now, the work earlier that this intercutting takes, uh, will, it'll either be intercut perfectly and you'll never hear this, or you'll be hearing me talking about something that I never do. So, <laughs> enjoy. What I, what I think was kind of interesting about that first moment was that it was, because it was our first experience playing together, we were, like, learning how each other operate, and mm -hmm. it became... Kind of really, really clear that some of us had played a lot of escape rooms yeah, so before, and um, some of us were, were kind of no, no, no. Shine was <laughs> off yeah. the chain. It was, it was dirt. <laughs> it was. You just scary. gave him a direct eyes, not. not, not <laughs> literally <laughs> turned to me. Yeah, you were like, okay, I'm the leader. Everybody do what I say. <laughs> no, actually, like, the first thing Shonlun said was, "So we want to win this." Yeah. So I'm the leader. And then <laughs> off the chain. Yeah, Just saying. And completely fucking crush it. He's a beetroot red. He's scary. Yeah. I think it made a few people nervous. Because it was uh, intense. It was, and it wasn't like. A force to reckon with. It was about speed, so that it wasn't about the types of team building exercises that are 
so common to these rooms, right? It wasn't about like negotiating voices. It was about identifying patterns and producing the results as quickly as possible. Mm. Yeah, I think this one in particular was it was a place where people go for team building. Oh, yeah. And I noticed the the other one one that we went to Mm -hmm. in... Oh, yeah. That was more, like, the pictures of families. Yeah, as someone who was on that team, but sort of like... I mean, I'm sure I helped, but it was over so quickly. It sort of felt like that feeling you get when you make a trick shot in basketball. You know, and you just can't believe it. You're like, oh, we Yeah. (laughs) Good. (laughs) How did you Yeah, something that crossed my mind was, like, is it going to be like this the whole trip yeah sure spoiler it wasn't (laughs) (laughs) so yeah straight straight after this art thing sorry no no go ahead go ahead (laughs) oh well actually no just really really quickly um what i was gonna say is that um what that like first experience kind of showed me um apart from like the the group dynamics was that um, as I struggled to remember this room, because even now, even though it was only a day ago, it was so fast that I've almost forgotten it. But um, it, it kind of really um, made clear how important the architecture of these spaces yeah. is. Yeah. So because we went in as a large group um, and all of us were there, it what the first room that we that that was um, that the that that we began in, it was actually possible for all of us to kind of do something and function as a group. And Shang Lun was kind of telling people what to do. And I felt like we, you know, we were all kind of contributing in some way. The The room itself was kind of this office space. It sort of felt like it was something out of the Stanley parable. Um, yeah. And and then... An office space with Catherine Zeta-Jones lasers. Right. Well... <laughs> no, that was the next, that, that was the next, next room. room. Wasn't that in the R1 too? Yeah. No, the was. second room. There was like we climbed uh, through the Hokusai and there were all of yeah, but we're talking talking about the very the first physical room we went into, oh, and, and that and so in the first room that we're in, we you know we kind of sped through it really fast, and then we unlocked to the second room that was this room of of lasers, oh and at that point, that was when it became very difficult for us to function as a cohesive. That was group. also where it became like an inaccessible space. Yeah, so it was narrow, there were lasers, the sound got in, every time we touched a laser, the sound would go off. And and so it, it just kind of, it, it showed for me at least the way that, like, the, the, the design of the space themselves, like, some of them work better with large group dynamics, and some of them actually make it impossible for kind of everyone to be mm-hmm. a, an equal co-participant. Well, and, mm-hmm. I mean, we'll get to this, but the... the um, by the way, I think some of the confusion was when we call it a room, sometimes we're talking about an escape right. room has multiple physical rooms. Sometimes but, yeah. a franchise. So maybe maybe when we're saying room, we're talking about physical room. Or, or, yeah, I guess we can try to clarify. Should we say Space, area, maybe. area, perhaps? Second area, Level. first area? We're never going to come up with... <laughs> yeah, we're never going to uh, appropriate okay. terms. So this is still all our thief, but basically there was a series of linear challenges that uh, culminated in opening up a new door to a new space. And those spaces started with like a cramped office, then a Catherine Zeta Jones hallway, <laughs> then, then a gallery uh, with the Klimt in it, I guess. Or was that well, later? Yeah. I mean, yeah. More lasers. Maybe there was like four yeah. rooms. Oh. I guess what I was gonna say that oh. That was a laser corridor. When was that? The second Oh, room. I have to say that I was really tired throughout this whole <laughs> and I hadn't rested enough, so I hope I'm not gonna act like that in the other escape rooms. <laughs> <laughs> See, I wasn't tired, but I still felt 
that it was so stressful because mm. we were just being told, like, yelled at what to do. Like, find this, find that. That I didn't even buy register. Yeah, <laughs> buy my big brother. <laughs> and yelled at. And I didn't even realize, like, until now, thinking back on it, I didn't realize what the different rooms were. They like, all kind of I, yeah, it kind of just, and I had no idea how that fit into the narrative at all. When we moved into the third room eventually, I, I, I was the first person into the space and Shungun was the second. And I turned around and I said, you need to calm down. Like, That's right. Yeah, I was trembling and my heart was pounding. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> and I was shouting. Do you want to, you know, be nice or win? <laughs> See, but, but. Do you remember when you came out too, right? Right, I kept, and I kept going, like, the bleed afterwards. I was still intense. Mm -hmm. I still had my, my hawk eyes. Yeah, I mean, by all means, solve it, but also breathe. It's mm. <laughs> good advice. See, but, but it, I mean, it is good but advice, good. but, oh, but I, um, it's worth pointing out, so we each did four rooms, but after the first two rooms, and again, we'll explain what we did, we ended up splitting up into two smaller groups mm -hmm. per room, and so that, that definitely, and we can talk about that, gave a different experience, but... Uh, just to jump ahead a little bit, in the fourth room, uh, me, Doug, and Shanglin got to play, just two of us playing with one no-taker. And that was that was fun, because then we could fully embrace the, the like, intensity of them. But because it's so different doing it, just two of us having that like dialectical relationship than like the six of us playing. So yeah, it totally mm -hmm. depends on the... Yeah, the and I think yeah. this really uh, kind of hit us in the second room. Like right, in terms yeah, of so what it means to have eight people in a room that's probably designed for three people. Can what you tell us the, about what this? The name of the second room? Yeah, so the, the way this worked <laughs> is the recording duties went to Shang Lun, so off of his high of like Super Saiyan <laughs> through uh, the art thief, oh, he then becomes right. like this passive aggressive uh, sports commentator. Yeah. <laughs> through, through, the, Just as through what is probably the most egregious like branding that we've seen so far, uh, which is the Dutch lady chocolate milk in a vault. Like, that's the theme. Of <laughs> so it's actually one. sponsored by Dutch lady. Well, year. it was sponsored by Dutch lady and built and paid for. And every player, you know, would get a free chocolate milk at the end of it. And then they pulled out of the sponsorship. and the, But the room remains. Do so it's the Dutch lady detritus. Mm. But so no Dutch ladies on the menu, but it's not there. <laughs> yeah, right, right yeah, we couldn't milk. even get chocolate milk. Mm. Well, I had some later. <laughs> from the supermarket. This puzzle was also literally broken. We right, right. There were Physically a lot broken. of things that came off the rails in this second So take one. us through what happened. Gosh, can I even remember? It was um, an office space with a yeah, phone and a computer. That's right. So instead of starting in the dark at night mm -hmm. in uh, the room next to an art gallery that you're breaking into, this one started in an office space. Completely um, nondescript, really. Uh, with some... I'm having trouble remembering it. Like some cryptic um, way to open a computer and open some desk drawers to retrieve these idols that are meant to be like placed in the four corners of the room. Which a abstract statuettic way. Yeah. Nothing to do with chocolate. <laughs> they're not <yeah>. idols. <laughs> <laughs> they're shapes. shapes. Yeah, it's yeah. not like temple. I think, I think the highlight to talk about is the, the final room. So whatever. We, I mean, we could well, spend well, forever well. talking about You like beat through rooms. some similar rooms. There were lasers also. There was like a sliding block puzzle in the second well, room we that I guarded yeah, because... Yeah. But I'm not sure if it was broken or not. That was actually kind of cool. Um, someone was holding up like a latch and I was sliding these blocks around and then that got into the third room. So before we get to the broken final room, okay. I think it's actually worth mentioning really quickly that this was our second escape room, and this was also another room with yet more lasers, which mm -hmm. was the, I mean, I, again, I had this sort of moment of, of 
terror when I thought, is every single room going to have a laser where you touch it and then this horrible sound goes off? I love lasers. <laughs> <laughs> that is well, that kind of meant thing. to artificially lasers provoke anxiety and nerves. But those lasers didn't actually have any consequence because it didn't, you know, a guard doesn't suddenly come in and flash a light or it doesn't take time off. So it was just this, it was just this kind of sound torture that we kept getting sometimes. <laughs> well, and we realized that we could just rush through. Yeah. This weird illinks and, you know, vertigo-inducing sound that supposedly is... Uh, Trouble. Yeah, but then does nothing, so we just kind of went with it. No, I just remember we were just bunched at the at the doorway mm. and looking kind of in. Watching. Right, because this second space was um, had crisscrossing lasers in three dimensions, and sort of one person had to crawl in and solve the puzzle. Second person had to crawl somewhere else and hold the latch also out of the lasers that the rest of the team just awkwardly stood at the door, unable to really even see in and out. Yeah. It was quite uncomfortable. Um, yeah. Yeah, and so once we got through these things, uh, we get to the final room, and... Uh, the final door is already open when we walk in. <laughs> half, half open. Yeah, and so right. you can peek in and see the tantalizing Dutch lady. I have to like specify <laughs> that this isn't like chocolate coins or like chocolate bricks. This is a cardboard it, tray with with like child sized chocolate milk. <laughs> yes, wrapped in plastic, like you see on the top shelf at the supermarket. Yeah, and that's what's so bizarre about the theming of this one is that it's like a chocolate milk recipe heist. Yeah, it's, it's the so recipe. Bizarre. We're not heisting the milk itself. But there is milk itself in that safe at the end. The recipe is the recipe. Yeah, it's just Wait, no, the recipe has been stolen already. No, no, no. There was, we, we never actually got to open the vault because it was dysfunctional. Inside with the chocolate was also a tiny little treasure chest, which I assume... Um, spoiler, we lost this room. Yeah. <laughs> but I think we lost yeah. it for really interesting reasons, yes. which was... Um, you know, not only had had the company itself abandoned this escape room, but it seemed the, the Dutch lady. But it seemed like the the escape room itself was starting yep. to fall apart, and mm-hmm. so that broken vault, I I think it really sort of threw us off our game. Exactly. And was, exactly. by seeing, is it is this was it you who was saying this afterwards that like by actually seeing inside the vault, it broke. It made you completely... Didn't care. Yeah. Done. But it was more... Oh, you first. Also, the, we'd gone in going, you know what, we're, we're top of the ladder. <laughs> <laughs> but we lost our star player. We can take the like, And I was just commenting... Yeah, you were, trying, you were pointing out all the things that we didn't see. <laughs> I went in there going, yeah, we're really good at this. We're going to be fine. And, and as soon as I realized that not only was this thing beating us because it was broken, but we weren't going to win... Um, that 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 was a big loss as well. That was a different type of loss. And then you hear Shung Lin in the background being like, "Oh, Patrick's trying the same thing. He's already tried." Yes. <laughs> Hoping that doing the same thing causes a new result. <laughs> and I, I, I really want to listen to this back because I solved uh, maybe every puzzle except one, kind of on seeing it. Yeah. Um, and then had to wait for you to catch up there. Roll that beautiful chocolate milk footage. Oh boy, this is going to be bad. So, we're in a white and blue, quite spacious, like much larger than the previous one. Um, there are f- 
people are looking at a computer that we're trying to break into. Patrick's looking at a box on top of a circular um, plinth that has a lock on it. There's an abstract piece of art on the wall, and there are clear puzzles that Stephanie and Doug are kind of just like looking at. The expression on people's faces is really interesting. When they're communicating, they're looking at people's faces, but they're getting no response. When they're just like absorbing, like Stephanie right now is just standing, kind of holding her hands together and looking uh, at blankly as if though into an infinite horizon. Patrick is trying this lock despite being told that the first thing to do is find the password on the computer. <laughs> yes, it's true. No, we're, we're probably not going to do this. <laughs> well, can I just like paint the picture? So basically there's this big vault, but it's like half open. And what, eventually we were supposed to figure out what the six digit number was for the keypad. But in addition to the, like the motivation, uh, like yeah. not feeling motivating because you've seen inside the vault, it also, I really messed with our puzzle solving, mm -hmm. even narrative or motivation aside, which was like, you suddenly couldn't trust all the devices in the room. Like there was this other puzzle that we couldn't tell. Did we solve this wrong or was the device itself broken? broken? Mm -hmm. And so when you're second guessing yourself the whole time, so like, I, like well, I mean, maybe this is really obvious, but that, that, that being abandoned by the, the sponsorship company and the escape room itself, really had major reverberations on the, on the process. Uh, I think, you know, we kind of changed the method there as well, right? Because the commentator was not supposed to join in in the puzzle solving, but then after that we decided that they could. Well, it wasn't just um, decide. I think the next one we split up into two, yeah. and you had Haunted House, and a funny thing happened, which necessitated the... Wait, is that what happened next? No, we did Wonderland oh, and Hell. We did Heaven and Hell. Sorry. We still split up though, right? Yeah. 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 So it was kind of two big groups, and we realized. I think. I think there's that moment when, uh, like, three or four of us were trying to hold up weird pieces to the vault door. So this and was like, yeah. struggling to like physically actually do this thing while everybody else watched, and yeah. really awkward way yeah. of identifying the puzzle. Um, but for some masochistic reason, like. Doug, you actually like this type of physicality yeah. that's required to like sure. do, do the work, as you say, to like get to the solution that's not just cracking a code, but like having to put in physical effort in a long-term way to get to the... Well, it's kind of like we're all to, playing Twister yeah. together. Yeah, yeah. Like hold these, finger twister. Yeah, finger twister. So this is... Hold up these I think there's circles. so much potential there. This is um, <laughs> on the vault. You, we, we were like, there were certain dials that you had to hold up that would have too long to describe, but it would eventually tell you these six numbers. But to Stephanie's earlier point, the architecture of the room and the puzzle yeah. did not uh, accommodate accommodate six people, people, let alone four people. So it was a funny, funny moment when everything fell to the ground. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Probably the first curses of the trip. Maybe not the last. God damn it. I have to say, after <laughs> we wrapped that puzzle up with a, with a giant loss, I was already... Naked, not actually yeah. really naked, but I was a bit. I could have gone for a long walk, you know. Mm. Mm. <laughs> yeah, it was a lot cognitive load by myself. But then we I changed the format and started to split up into two different groups mm. that would still have a note taker. And so there would either be two, given there were seven of us that day, there would either be two people with a note taker or three people with a note taker. And that two and three is more of a regular kind of group to to do them. Um, on the note of the architecture still, though, I found it really interesting. There was a corridor in this uh, Dutch lady one with nothing in it except a red flashing light. Oh, Do you remember? Yeah. 
Yeah. It was after the lasers yeah, and yeah. before yeah. the final vault. And the entire function of this passageway, which had nothing in it, was to get you to this next room. So there's the physical constraints of the space where they needed this room apparently to be here because of the mm -hmm. way the building was laid out. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of happened fractally inside the room as well, where you had these alcoves that looked very purposeful. Like if this were a video yeah. game mm -hmm. design, you would put artifacts there for yeah. sure. Mm -hmm. yeah. But there's nothing in that space. Can we, can we maybe segue? That was yeah, that was super the key true of this Wonderland one, which was kind of designed uh, so. Uh, Doug, Goldie, Alex, and I um, did it, and it was kind of designed for kids. So there's first room mm -hmm. kind of for kids, and then the second room that was actually a pretty complex chessboard puzzle that required you to know kind of the orientation of a chessboard and uh, do some like coordinate uh, math on the chessboard. Oh, that's like a common Malaysian thing. <laughs> but one of the interesting oh. things about it, and this I think will also be another theme of the series, is in the first room uh, there was like a box that was this, the culminating solution of the room was to unlock this box on the wall and inside the box was a light switch and when you turn the light switch all the lights in the room went off and uh that's what a light switch does yeah but <laughs> to no effect on the puzzles and so the the employees said that this was um you know the the contractors just put a light switch in and so and it was in what? the center for the box as was, well so there was i actually pressed the light switch thinking that that was what we were supposed to do, but I I'm totally missed the fact that there was a key inside right. the yeah. box as well. <laughs> yeah, so we're standing in the dark wondering, like, what are we missing? Is this a black light puzzle? <laughs> yeah. so it wasn't a puzzle. It was just the light it switch. Just really it was just really the contractor's yeah, yeah, the it was just the light switch. Yeah. Well, and, and can I also say, there was no other puzzles in this, this, this like, yeah. intricately painted room with, like, Alice in Wonderland. Big mushrooms. Big mushrooms and whatever. Yes. And extremely simple, like, we had to pick out all these different sports themed plushies out of this uh, ball, ball pit. pit count them that would give us the four digit code and and to this point it seems to resonate in the space it didn't seem like necessarily the densest use of all these rooms right. i also have to say that in that room so we, we get the we get the combination code we, we move into the next room the next room uh is what took up most of our time um but in the first room there's this giant paper mache rock and on the side of the rock were four symbol uh, images of you know a squirrel and a sheep like a butterfly and a, and a butterfly and mm -hmm. a chicken or something so you know uh made the mental note to remember those uh totally irrelevant yeah. didn't come up ever again but <laughs> <laughs> there they were oh wow yeah it recycled from something else maybe. yeah that, that's right. it. so that's yeah the the conversion of um artifacts or puzzles into furniture it's is just lazy else. though yeah. yeah so there's irrelevant Game design elements that they put, or decorative things, and then there's vestigial yeah. mm -hmm. you know, game difference. design elements. Mm -hmm. And um, I think maybe like I, I, I think as the week goes on, I'm going to be really interested to think a little bit more about kind of what happens when you encounter those, yep. because I haven't played a lot of escape rooms. Um, you know, I'm I'm kind of going in. I've only done two previous to this, and I have to say I don't think they were very high quality escape rooms. Um, in, and in my past experience, all of those had vestigial game design elements from what were like very obviously other games um, and that just been repurposed. And in all of those cases, it, in all of those cases, it always threw me off. Mm. Um, and so I want to think about more, I want to think more about that. Mm. And I can't remember at this point, it's all blurring together, but I can't remember which escape room it was, but the one where you found that table. Oh, oh yeah, that's Dutch, Dutch Lady. Dutch that lady. was Dutch Lady. 
Is it called Dutch Lady? That sounds yeah, so weird Dutch coming <laughs> rolling off the tongue now. But uh, it was inside the Dutch Lady, and you found <laughs> a desk. The, a, yeah, 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 it was like it was basically like a puzzle box with a maze carved in the top of it. Oh, that yeah. um, should I assume it's something where you dangle a magnet in the video to, from the outside? You could see people solving that puzzle. Oh, really? Yeah, so it definitely was a puzzle. But in The Dutch Lady, it was just a table. <laughs> it was yeah. a decorative table for a treasure box. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you told me there was something in it, so I was trying to find out what was in it. Mm-hmm. I think this is a like a, a, going to be a benchmark of chain store escape rooms, where they don't have the care or love to, yeah. to bother with that sort yeah. of stuff. I think, it's, I think something, that really, something really interesting is how, this, how they're worn down. How the mm. escape rooms get worn down, mm. and there are marks of and even notes mm. that people have done on the walls and stuff like that. Yeah, and, and how and, like and prevalent and, the instructions to be careful with our props. Yeah, yeah. I think it's really interesting everywhere. when you know when you have things that can get worn down in a really nice way. Like it, it gives things a feel when mm. they're worn down, but then there's not these these ones are not. They're worn down, but then they're breaking, broken because they're worn down. They've right. got aura, but it's mm. kind of gross. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's like not a palimpsest I would want to mm. uncover. Um, well, but, I don't yeah. know what that word means. <laughs> Layers. Yeah. There's a way to design for it to be yeah. worn down, for getting worn down. I think it's interesting. Right. But then there's just moments where it's kind of like the like the dark souls messages where like people were just like leaving answers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The, the traces <laughs> of rubbing. players past. Yeah. The traces of where the it's like, here's the answer. Yeah. If you want. Shanghan was here. <laughs> <laughs> I did write that in my own blood. Um, while you were doing the Alice in Wonderland room, uh, a couple of others were doing heaven and hell. Mm-hmm. So that was Stephanie, Amani and myself, I believe. And Amani was taking notes and this room's, yeah. I think the thing that struck me the most was it was divided into a very, very pleasant environment, which is to say it looked like a nursery yeah. crèche. <laughs> Butterflies <laughs> in the walls. Clouds, decals of pleasant pastures. It wasn't particularly biblical. I guess it was supposed to be Eden, Genesis, something like that, but it was just literally like some, some fake vines, some butterflies, some clouds. But even still, I was kind of grateful for it. Like, uh, it was actually for me, um, I'm, I guess I'm having, a, I, in a lot of the escape rooms, I'm having encounters with my own disability and that in order to increase tension, they're very frequently in the dark. And my vision is sub 2020. And so it's pretty difficult for me to even do something like um, put the numbers into a lock. So yeah. what was nice about the heaven portion of heaven and hell was that it was like gloriously well lit. Yes, yes. <laughs> Can I just ask, I suddenly realized, what was the premise of Heaven and Hell? <laughs> like, why, why were you going you to Heaven and Hell? It, it was the, uh, Lucifer, the and yeah, it's the fall. You are Lucifer? No, yes. no, so Lucifer is taking over the swarm of angels and has created hell. So it's who the are story you? Of, we are... God? No. <laughs> An angel? Ethereal beings. Well, can I um, dovetail off that point and say, for me, one of the big observations of the day was... Uh, at this parlor, the onboarding, the narrative onboarding was extremely weak. So they would like take us to this room and we'd have to ask like, wait, okay, wh- why are we in this art museum? Like what's going on? Like how much time do we have? So there was even stuff like at the very last part of the Alice in Wonderland game, you solve this puzzle 
and there's this door, and the sign says, mm. don't force the door, uh, it'll open automatically. So we expected this great moment where, you know, the, you put the four chess pieces on yeah. the right grid and then the, after working for 30 minutes together, <laughs> and then something happens. A but noise, anything. It's an electromagnet, so it's completely silent. So you can't hear <laughs> yeah. it. The door didn't go open, the music didn't stop, and so it's not just the employees explaining the game to you, is even like the debriefing and the like coming out of this intense experience, getting into it, like it was it was hard to ramp yourself up mm. at the beginning and maybe that that's we, we were all told we it were is... all Alice at the start of that yeah. one. We're like who are we did we follow Alice no you're you're Alice right <laughs> you also uh, just a little side note on that the music in that room was 100% Harry Potter music right <laughs> that was very funny like the score to yeah, Harry Potter yeah just just so, again and again so i think i think the point is less like you know let's bash these rooms or whatever and also it's like you know to some extent these are pretty obvious things that could be fixed i think the more interesting for me questions are like well what what are the different kind of commercial pressures and values here and like you know were these play tested or did this even matter so i think that's the kind of stuff as a game designer i'm interested in like um uh yeah like what, what was the process of making these things mm -hmm. yeah. so yeah i think all across the board all of these games have like the narrative complexity of the princesses in another castle. Mm -hmm. um, if even. If even, right, right. And so like, I, I guess the, the question that I wonder is, if you take the time to actually put a narrative that isn't just this kind of thin skin that's housing all of these puzzles, how much does that actually transform the experience of play? Tune in tomorrow. Yeah, <laughs> I'm really keen to discuss this tomorrow and like what onboarding should mean and look like. Um, so just drawing back to um, the thing that I remember most from Heaven and Hell, it was the moment when we moved from Heaven to Hell mm. because Heaven's this pleasant nursery and then Hell is a, a dungeon from <laughs> your nightmare. And the funny thing is... It's, it's basically like... It, it's. It's an 80s slasher film. And, and there's oh, just that's like. That's what hell it is. Yeah. <laughs> and there's just dollar store body parts everywhere. Mm -hmm. and, and that's it. And the like, mannequin like, with right. hair you know, from the grudge or the ring. Ew. Yeah. I know hair. <laughs> at, <laughs> at, and so, at a table. But the funny thing is, you know, it's much lighter in heaven. So we just threw all the body parts into heaven. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, this hand doesn't belong here. And so we were kind of corrupting heaven, and it felt it <laughs> quite pleasant. Uh, it, it, so I was commentating this one, and it was... I, I, I kept repeating the same things because you were doing the same actions over and over I think again. it was something like, like, like a, Stephanie is bringing the limbs. <laughs> Moving Give more limbs. <laughs> Walked into yeah. a room that's full of limbs. Okay, and blood we got limbs. and blood and body parts to success some of the limbs have writing on them and codes on them the limbs have markings on them geometric patterns in a square this one has one so all the limbs are being brought into the room that has light they also got specifically and Stephanie has gone back for more limbs into the dark room she's looking for more limbs with her torch picking lots of limbs and the end of it, we went up to a section that was the top half of a room where the roof was like, we had to crouch and there was at the top there, a sprinkler, um, kind of at eye level. So, you know, could have very easily put by the safety <laughs> feature. That was actually a huge hazard. Right. Um, and the reason for it being the top half. my favorite part of the room. Right. <laughs> is because the lower half was actually the tunnel for a different room. Mm. And I kind of love that 
division of space. <laughs> yeah, so, I mean, there were two more rooms that we did in two different group configurations, because we scrambled the groups that had new commentators. One was Taken, a kind of kidnapping story, and the other was, like, a haunted house. Um, and so, it was a haunted prison. What was the story of yours? The story is, we're kids. So, <laughs> you're kids who play Truth or Dare, and you're dared, you lose, all of you, and you're dared to stay at the haunted house. How do you lose... And you're, uh, you're blind. You're know. turned blind. You're turned blind <laughs> at the haunted house because you stay there overnight. And the ghosts put you in three cells that are full of things like a box of fingers. <laughs> I really hate it. Uh, and like a, a body so like in one wall. So it was very like a, a haunted house. Like it was, it was also a tomb. Was, yeah. Like a, there was a gravestone in the mind. So both of our rooms. They, they like, bought the limbs from the same dollar store. In your way, we just had a really bad job. Our boss's kid had been kidnapped and we... For some reason, we're supposed to go and get them. <laughs> we're just office clerks. See, I, don't, yeah. I don't understand why I can make it your kid who is kidnapped. Why is it your boss's kid? Right, everything has a weird layer of abstraction. <laughs> like, why yeah. do you care if it's your boss's kid? You're not you, you're kids. Or your employees. Yeah. So both of our rooms, I believe, featured swastikas on the wall. Yeah. Or swastikas. Yeah. That is true. <laughs> <laughs> but it wasn't clear if that was just like... Like edgy environmental storytelling yeah, or something like yeah, or or literal graffiti that somebody had left behind. No, it's definitely it's the part room. of it. Oh, yeah, yes. yeah. ours it was definitely part of it. It was a symbol. Yeah, that's uh, Amani's cage that she was in the entire time was called the swastika cage. Colloquially, in order to share information quickly, that we have to talk symbol. about which puzzle pieces refer to which cage, and so the was pages? like the sword man. Mine was the T, and Omani's was uh, the swastika. But the swastika is also a Hindu symbol, so... I think it's, it's clearly divorced from historical context, mm -hmm. but it's being used as a instant identification of evil, right? It's like, mm -hmm. as if though they said, this is an upside-down cross, it's a space of the Antichrist. That should be a scary symbol. Right, so it's like, oh, well, this you know, alongside death and you will die in this scary space, we'll just put a swastika because it means the same thing. Oh, there was literally graffiti in our room that said, you will die. True. Yeah, so, there you go. So, like, I think it, that's exactly the right So thing. ours was more like uh, the formal layout of a puzzle was in a swastika shape what? rather than uh, it being, like, part of the decoration. So it was, each of us had a panel of buttons that were in a different configuration, and we had to press the buttons in the proper order. And so there were about 10 buttons each in different layouts. And as we unlocked different puzzles for one another, we found uh, those layouts repeated in the puzzles such that we could tell, oh, Amani uh, hit, uh, you know, button, top most button, second to the right button, et cetera, et cetera. So you can mechanically interact with the swastika. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And then the, the and then there were you know and this these the same symbols were used in in the sheets of paper. There are a lot of faces paper. being pulled in the room and a lot of slide eyes happening. But I think it sounds like a misinterpretation of the reality of the symbol and an, and an interpretation of the feeling of the symbol. So I think that there could be uh, you can talk about one of these rooms for an entire yeah. podcast, right? So like this is one going to be one of our challenges this week is yeah. that. They're so rich in terms of both uh, the complexity of describing the spatialization of formal puzzles within the diegesis as minimal as it might be of these given like story worlds, but also um, 
the weird conflicts that all of that has with the physicality, uh, the site specificity, and the way that they're introduced, it's just a really complex thing that you could kind of drill into. And so it's going to be a challenge to figure out, like, what are the salient points that we want to discuss related to these? Because we could literally go on forever about the details of each one. Sure. Um, And I don't know if we want to share some salient points to kind of wrap this one up. Um, But I think we did learn some lessons throughout like this first day about both what escape rooms are and what this group is. Um, And those are the things we're going to be reflecting on like throughout the week, uh, kind of those two vectors. And I guess maybe a third vector is like Kuala Lumpur as like a space for these to be set. I mean, for me, the thing I take away and Stephanie mentioned it in the conversation, but was this idea of the detritus, like uh, echoes of the former glory of the room or the room <laughs> before it or something. Um, I think that was one of the most interesting things. Um, for me, I'm looking at, that's not, I'm like less interested in evaluating each particular room, but mm-hmm. like looking for points of inspiration. So yeah. suddenly, and Amani was mentioning some of this too. Okay, well, what, what would it mean to like purposely either like design for detritus as a good thing or an interesting thing? Because I think... Yeah, looking for these salient points uh, that may be like a wellspring of interesting ideas moving forward, at least for me as as a designer. And I think as we play more and more of these and we start to get fatigued over the week, we're going to start, because we're not playing them for our own enjoyment, right? It's kind of research-based. We'll start playing around with the form as well, Mm. um, which I think will be interesting. Yeah, I'm interested in our attitudes about one another and like what we want when we go into one of these spaces. Mm, which will change. Um, yeah, and so that will change. And so sometimes maybe we want to win in a certain amount of speed and that produces uh, certain um, effects it's that are fun. good That's and bad in different ways, right? Sometimes um, maybe we don't want to win. Sometimes maybe we want to explore something else. I'm not sure if we'll ever get to the point where it's like, I'm going to pay to just stand in this room and not solve anything. But I'm curious about that. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> as silly as that sounds. Uh, we spend yeah. 45 minutes just hanging out in the first experiment. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah. But, uh, but other experiments, like um, if we all kind of go on in our knees and say we're all at this height, or if we, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. Something. Mm-hmm. Or doing a silent one, I think yeah. would be really oh, interesting. Oh, I'd love to try that. I just, just, you know, it's, it's been mentioned. I think a, a lot of us are really interested in the site specificity, right? Like we're all here in Kuala Lumpur. Um, some of us have, fa- have family here, for some of us it's our first time. And I think we're interested in how, you know, where is the kind of Kuala Lumpurness in the uh, escape rooms that we're playing? And it's immediately clear after the first day, um, if it wasn't, you know, before we even got here, that it's, we're, we're not really going to find that in the narrative onboarding of each of these games that we're mm-hmm. playing, right? Which are like pretty cheesy Hollywood style narratives, art heist, um, haunted houses, prison breaks, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But I actually think that it's moments like maybe the chess puzzles in Alice in Wonderland, or even the kind of um, lack of awareness about what swastika iconography signifies. Um, I think that those are actually moments that maybe signal some of the the um, specificity of the region that we're in. Um, And so it's like we almost have to look at everything with a side eye or indirectly to find some of those kind of unique um, elements that are part of what it means to play uh, escape rooms in Kuala Lumpur. Absolutely, because this is, after all, every game 
in this city. <laughs> and this city, thank you, title drop. This city is Kuala Lumpur. You're listening to every game in this dull yeah. city. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Hashtag every escape room. Okay. <laughs> Hashtag, maybe we're done. <laughs> Every Game in This City is a podcast on the Idle Thumbs Network. We recorded season one in a hot bedroom in Pataling Jaya during the summer of 2018. Our theme music is a cover of Seiko 4 by Yasuaki Shimizu a piece he originally composed for a wristwatch commercial in the 1980s. You can find us on the web at everygameinthis.city, as well as most social media networks and podcasting platforms. In two weeks, our next episode will be moderated by Douglas Wilson, who will introduce two new team members and lead us to our first dead end, a closed escape room.